This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I'm joined as always by George Smith. George, how are you? Well, I'm not bad, mate. How's things with yourself? Good, thanks. Obviously, we've had a little break from the pod for probably about a month now. Um, I'm currently away on tour with Blackburn Rovers, um, sat in a very nice, pretty oldie-worldie Scottish hotel uh, in Dundee, having watched them play last night. Had a lovely dinner and I'm very full from it, so I'm, I'm a bit lacklustre for energy, but I'm going to raise my raise my performance level for this podcast, which I've been looking forward to all day. Um, but yeah, I'm excited for the new season. How are you? Tired, in a word. Very, very tired. You've been watching Rovers in Dundee and I've been awake since half past two this morning covering a Man United press conference. So we've both been after a Raiders game. You based on a big meal and me on a lack of sleep. But we're ready and raring to go and the new season officially starts here as far as I'm concerned. Quick reminder, as always, to subscribe to this podcast feed, which you can do on all your usual platforms and make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24 like to point you in the direction of a giveaway that we're running to, to mark the start of the season. We are giving away a championship shirt of your choice. All you have to do is head to our Twitter account at ChampChatPod24 and make sure you retweet the tweet. You're following us and you're following our brand new season sponsor, George, which we're very delighted to, to welcome on board Cards Accepted. They will be our official championship chat sponsor for the season and we're delighted to have them on board, aren't we, George? We certainly are, and we're hoping to bring a few new features to it this season, aren't we, with a few more interesting graphics and all kinds of little gizmos as the season goes on, and we're just eager to keep taking the pod to the next next level, aren't we? We had a really good season last year, and we're just going to keep it going this season, so do stick with us and make sure you're following the Twitter page for plenty of good content day in, day out. Yeah, absolutely. Massive thanks to, to Dave, uh, in particular from Cards Accepted, for his, their support this season, obviously. Uh, having a sponsor for the first time really will help us um, commit more time, more resources to the podcast and hopefully bring you guys better content. So thank you to those for joining us for the season. Really looking forward to that. And thank you to to yourselves for for listening, of course, as, as you have in your droves over the last few years. And those numbers just keep increasing. And we're ready to to make sure that they, they keep driving upwards for the new season. So th- this is what we're, we're deeming as our first official pod of the new campaign. Uh, we will be out. I'm happy to to announce, we've not really said this yet, uh, our official 1-24 to predictions. We will be releasing on Monday, the 25th of July, which is obviously the Monday prior to the season starting on the 30th of July. That is when we'll be releasing our 1-24 to predictions. So make sure you subscribe to this podcast feed so you get that as soon as it goes live. It'll be live at around half past seven in the morning, as usual. Um, and that's always a pod that goes down well, isn't it, George? It's probably the one oh, I it certainly probably is. the it's pro- it's definitely the most listened to pod we usually get every year, and that is the case pretty much across the sort of podcast community. Any sort of prediction pods tend to do really well, but it's one I really enjoy, and it's one that we can then look back at um, as well. So I'm really looking forward to releasing that as well. Yeah, definitely. It's as you've said there. It's the one that tends to go down best across the whole season. We got a really good uh, reaction to that last year, and. As you've said there, we can look at it next May and laugh at each other and wonder what the hell we were saying. But no, it's always a popular one. Looking forward to it. And uh, I need to start getting my brain in gear and thinking about it because, Elliot, I gather you're already uh, 
plotting your way through the league, but making a hell of a lot of changes every day. Yeah, I uh, I started my 1-24s probably about 10 days ago, and I've made probably on average a change every day. I'm still not settled on it. I'm still not prepared that the season starts in 16 days and I've got to make decisions on teams in 11 days. Um, but so be it. And this is why we uh, this is why we love doing the podcast. So that's a bit of housekeeping in order to bring you back up to up to speed on what's going on with the podcast and, and with us. Um, and on today's podcast, we're just going to do a bit of a review of the recent news then and reaction that's gone on in the championship, a couple of management movements, and of course, uh, a little bit of a recap on the, the best and most eye-catching deals in the transfer window. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. So, George, we'll start today's podcast with Birmingham City, who on and off the field have, have had a bit of a, a, a bit of a t- turmoil time, really. Since we last spoke, managerial change, Lee Bowyer out, John Eustace in. Uh, this did happen last week as we record, so it's a little bit dated, but nonetheless, we'll we'll talk about it and give our views. But off the field's just as interesting, really, because things haven't slowed down or or levelled out, really. If, if you were from a, speaking from a Birmingham City fan's perspective, that's what you would like to say. Lee Bowyer, first of all, sacked. We've been expecting this to come all summer. It's been reported that it's going to happen all summer. The only difference is everyone was expecting Mark Wolverton to come in, but of course he's joined West Ham United as assistant manager. Bowyer didn't have a a good end to last season at all, I think it's fair to say. But you could equally say who could really go in in that environment and really succeed at their and, and you know and perform at their best level. It's not an environment for success at the moment at St Andrews, sadly. And John Eustace has got a hell of a job coming in. Now, for me, it's not so much they've sacked Lee Bowyer. I think it's just it's just bad timing. It? It's just a circus there at the moment. And this sums it up by the fact that they've decided, you know, three weeks before the start of the season to change manager when they could have done it. They could have done it months ago. It just doesn't make sense. But it does make perfect sense because we're talking about Birmingham City. And unfortunately, that's the way things go off the field for them at the moment, which Obviously, it's a great pain to, to blue supporters. It's sad to see, uh, you know, a, a big football club for, for championship level to be running in a manner that they are. And you just, it's hard to see John Eustace coming in and doing amazing things. And that's not even a reflection on him. If I look at him as an appointment in isolation, obviously, he's been highly regarded for a while now. He was in the running for the job at Queen's Park Rangers when, um, before Mark Warburton. He was interested in the Swansea job when um, Steve Cooper left last summer and Watford reportedly had him on their target list this summer um, when, of course, Roy Hodgson decided he was going to retire for a second time. So he's been in and around the frame for a few jobs. He's clearly highly rated as a young coach. It's obviously going to be a bit of a gamble because he's not had a managerial job before. If Birmingham was sat 18th, and pretty rosy off the field. Let's let's take Preston North End, for example, as a good example of they were pretty stable to make a bit of a bold move by gambling on someone like Ryan Lowe. You know, they were 18th in the table, so they weren't doing great, but off the field, they were fine. No real financial problems, and never really going to get relegated, so they could take a bit of a punt. It's a little bit more of a gamble for Birmingham because I do think that the squad desperately needs reinforcements. I do think the off-the-field problems are, are no doubt going to hinder them at some point this season. And that does make it a bigger risk. Hopefully, he'll be able to galvanise them. We've seen a lot of good coaches, in particular, thrive in the Championship, who have made their name 
in coaching um, and then made the step up to management. We've seen some examples of that, certainly um, in, in recent times. Steve Cooper is obviously the most obvious one of, of recent time. What was your reaction to, to, the, um, to the decision, George? And, and how do you think Birmingham might fare without giving too much away? Well, it's, it's going to be enormously difficult, isn't it? First and foremost, like you've said, it's a football club where things are not in a good place at the minute off the pitch. They haven't been for a substantial period of time. They were, in a way, fortunate to avoid the drop last season. Had obviously teams beneath them not had points deductions, they could have been a hell of a lot closer to that battle than they were. So it's going to be a really, really big challenge for John Eustace going in there. But like you've said, he's a manager that's highly regarded. He had a caretaker stint at QPR a few years ago. Watford were looking at him this summer, Swansea as well before. So it's quite clear that, you know, clubs are in a stale position off the pitch, admire him. So Birmingham potentially have landed themselves a good manager, even though he's yet to prove himself as a manager. But like you said, Steve Cooper, everybody's got to start somewhere and prove themselves. So it's going to be interesting. I think it is a decent appointment in terms of potential and what it could bring, but it's the off-field scenario that just makes it a whole different ball game, doesn't it? And that would be the case if any manager had gone in there, experienced, young, whatever. The, the, the off-field problems are likely to heavily impact his success or his failure at that football club. And until those problems are resolved, then I don't see anything changing regardless of who's in the dugout. So he's going to be a real big task for him. Obviously, the squad is in need of quite a bit of work and what the finances are probably non-existent at the minute. Obviously, there's this takeover scenario rumbling on, and I'm sure we'll mention that with uh, with a bit of detail in a minute after that bonkers TalkSport interview last week, let's be honest. Which one? Scene, it was, well, the second one, the most recent yeah. one with Simon Jordan and Jim White. That was Neither of them were great, were they? Diff- different, to say the very least. But I think looking at John Eustace individually, I think... He's he's got to prove himself. He's earned the opportunity. Like you said, he's been considered as an up-and-coming coach. Other clubs have looked at him and are in a good position off the pitch. So have Birmingham potentially landed a bit of a gem? Maybe, maybe not. Time will tell. But for any manager, the, the off-field situation is not going to make it a, a plain sailing job for him to you know build the squad he wants and get the foundations laid for the culture he wants to embed and the project he wants to build. So it's going to be difficult. It's going to be a challenge. But I think it's just a case of we will see on this one because it, it could go either way. But the off-field issues just are not helping anybody, least of all the supporters. They they deserve so much better. Birmingham, they're a big football club. They're a historic football club. They were a Premier League club not that long ago. And the last few seasons now, they've looked in real danger of dropping into League One. They've How many how many seasons, realistically, in the last, I don't know, last 10 years have Birmingham been close to a relegation dogfight, say, on the final day? There's been too many that I can recall where they've been in real danger of dropping through the trap door and they just somehow seem to get away with it. So for them, for the fans, it'd be nice to have a season without looking over the shoulder. But at the minute, unless things change, I can't see that narrative changing this coming season. I, I do fear for them. And you never know, could this be the year? But John Eustace, if he gets things right, gets the support he needs, gets the backing he needs, maybe he can turn things around. So it's just going to be a case of wait and see on that one. But for him individually, I think it's a good opportunity, but the off-field issues are going to have a major say in how this one develops. I think, I suppose from Eustace's point of view, maybe it's probably 
from a reputation point of view, it probably isn't a bad first job, as daft as that sounds, because if he fails, I think you could quite fairly point and go, well, who could really thrive in that environment? And if he does a good job, then obviously that'll... Yeah, that'll... and, And if he does a good job and, you know, overachieves, then let's be fair, I think staying above the bottom three would be an overachievement at this point, or certainly that's got to be the aim, I think, to stay up, as sad as that is to say, for a club of uh, of such size. But ultimately, you know, we're two weeks towards the, towards the season. That's that's how I'm feeling, certainly, at the moment. And if he overachieves, then obviously that's brilliant and that, that will raise his stock even more. So maybe it's not a bad job for him. To bring people up to speed for anyone that's not following the uh, the car crash of Birmingham City off the field, Lawrence Bassini's trying to buy the club. This is a man that's been uh, declared bankrupt twice and been banned from football operations for three years at one point. Um, so, as you can see, a, a real trusty and reliable character to come in and be a custodian of a big football club. Just, they're going to win, gonna win the league, remember? They're going to win the league. Yeah, so Lawrence Bassini has, has done two car crash interviews with TalkSport, uh, the first of which he just kept on saying, I'm going to I'm gonna tell you what I'm about to tell you, and then didn't say anything for about seven minutes. And then the second one, he tried to start <laughs> a fight with Simon Jordan, uh, whilst also professing he was going to buy Birmingham City for about £35 million, and they were going to win the league. He did initially say he was only going to stay for three years in that first interview, and then the second decided he was going to stay for as long as it takes to win the league. So he's an absolute nutcase. He's not helping anyone. Um, it's just not. He's just making himself look stupid on Talksport for a laugh. For, for a, the producers must be rubbing their hands together every time he rings up, and he's just a pillock, isn't he? And he shouldn't be anywhere near a football club. For for these reasons, well, and we laugh and we joke, but ultimately it's genuinely be a bit scary that this man. <laughs> Who's clearly just not fit to run a football club from a just you know the way he conducts himself first and foremost, but then secondary the fact that he's been banned and declared bankrupt, so there's credibility issues about his finances as well. He should be nowhere near a football club. How could he possibly I, I be allowed to pass the fit and proper persons test? How could he possibly George, be allowed to pass it? I think with about three quid between you, you could could. We probably right. could. It's just we the just EFL do a leave needs to clamp down on this. We've seen too many situations in the last few years, certainly in the last few months in, in regards to Derby, where Wigan. situation Wigan's another one, of course, many, many others as well, where people that should be nowhere near football clubs are just invited with open arms. The, the league bosses need to do something about this. They need to rethink the strategy, rethink the fit and proper person's test and look at exactly who they're bringing in because it's like people who don't follow football probably won't get it but take Derby for example if that club had gone under that has ripped a massive part out of a city and it's it it sounds stupid that a football club it's not the be all and end all of life but to many people it is it is their bread and butter of life and the thing is say continue with the trend for Derby because it's just the most recent case of it isn't it if that club had died and gone under crying out loud, that Derby City would have just been, you know, it would have had its heart and soul ripped out of it as a, as a city. You you went to uni there, Elliot. You'll know all about the, the meaning of that club to that city and everything. So the EFL, for me, have got to do something about it because you already know if he gets his hands on Birmingham City, and the Birmingham City fans will already know this, it's a disaster waiting to happen. It really is. 
<laughs> the, the, like you said, the, the bloke has come on Talksport and he's just made a complete idiot of himself. With Not the stuff once, he said. but to do it a second time, almost almost identical. And there'll probably be a third time as well. I wouldn't rule it out. I think I we really should move wouldn't. on because I'm stressed talking about it and I don't even have any affiliation with Birmingham City, but it's stressing me <laughs> out. So let's look at Huddersfield Town. Um, obviously, pretty big news last week that Carlos Corbran, um, seemingly overnight, left the club. Um, Danny Schofield in as their uh, interim slash full-time boss. It was not very well worded in the club statement, but he's taking over the club full-time. Um, succeeding Carlos Corbran. Obviously, we did a little bit of reaction to this live uh, on the, the morning of, George, on our Twitter account. We did a Twitter space for the first time. So, again, another reason to follow us on Twitter at ChampChatPod24 because we uh, we every once in a while will do some live reaction to big breaking news as this was at the time. But for, for pod listeners who didn't catch that, um, some thoughts, especially now we've had a week to sort of digest it. I still think that it's a little bit poor from Carlos Corberan in terms of the timing. I think he could have made this decision earlier. I find it hard to believe that, given that it's pretty much budgetary issues, that are the reason why he's decided that he doesn't feel like he's the man to take the club forward. I think he surely would have been having budgetary meetings early this year. You know, clubs plan two transfer windows in advance from from what I understand being in around football. I find it hard to believe that in sort of February, March, they wouldn't have a clear idea what the budget would be if they didn't get promoted to the Premier League. So to make this decision sort of three weeks before the start of the season, I think given the, the faith the club have put in him, and let's be fair, the, the Corbrand doesn't owe the club anything. I'm not suggesting that because they would have sacked him on the spot if they'd finished 18. So I'm not suggesting that Corbrand owes Huddersfield anything. I just think that Huddersfield fans have a right to be Slightly peeved that he's he's walked out three weeks before the start of the season, ultimately. But from his point of view, I can equally understand why he's done that, because they didn't need loads after finishing third last season. Of course, it was a massive improvement, a fairy tale story. Needed a Levi Colwell replacement, but we knew that was going to be the case. Um, and they needed some sort of an extra dimension in terms of their, their attack. Obviously, Daniel Sonani left as well. They needed a quality forward player, a creator or a goal scorer. They needed a replacement at centre-back and they needed to keep the key players. So far, they brought in Will Boyle on a free transfer from Cheltenham. Good player. Obviously, they're never going to bring someone in at the standard of Levi Colwell, but I see him more as a squad player, someone who will probably play 20, 25, 30 games maybe, but more of a replacement for Naby Sarr, for example, who they've let go on a free transfer than Levi Colwell as a definite start where you can go, that's a quality uh, signing that's going to keep them in the top six. Likewise, it looks increasingly likely they're going to lose their two best players, um, Harry Toffolo at left wing back and Lewis O'Brien in centre of midfield. Lewis O'Brien, not a major shock if he goes. I think a lot of people would expect him to leave. It would be a blow to lose Toffolo, I think definitely. Nottingham Forest sniffing around both of them. And they've not really brought anyone in of any major quality. Kasumu's come in from MK Dons. Looks like a good sign-in. Mahoney's come in on a free transfer. That, for me, is a bit uninspiring. Now, I am aware of saying too much about the transfers because I probably would have been saying the same sort of thing this time last year with the business they did. And obviously, that turned out to be some fantastic and shrewd additions. So, I am wary of that. But ultimately, I've got to trust my gut feeling and 
I haven't seen anything in the transfer market that makes me think Huddersfield are stronger. If anything, I definitely think their squad is potentially weaker and could get even weaker if they lose O'Brien and Toffolo. And they've lost their manager, who was obviously a huge part of getting them to finish third and that massive uh, improvement on the season before. In terms of the Schofield appointment, obviously I understand the need for continuity. And, and you know, when you have a head of football operations or a director of football model like Huddersfield do, the whole idea is that the head coach is not the be-all and end-all and that if they leave unexpectedly, you can then replace with some continuity. You keep the same football ideology and you don't have to rip up that squad um, with two completely different tactical identities, which obviously can cause massive problems in the transfer market for a new man coming in. So I get that. But equally, I think there's a lot of really good young managers on the market right now that would have fit Huddersfield Town. Um, first one that, that comes off the top of my head is Liam Manning at, at MK Dons. But there's loads of other managers that I think could have fit the bill for Huddersfield Town. And I think if I was a Huddersfield Town fan, I would have liked them to have been slightly more ambitious and gone for someone off the market that also that still fits the ideology. I'm not saying go and get Sean Dyche or anything because that would just be not fitting with what they're trying to do. But I think there are a lot of good young managers there that could have potentially done the job. And we've seen it's a gamble. Now, obviously, it's worked for some championship clubs. You look at Paul Warren, for example, who stepped up as very much as a caretaker at Rotherham. Paul Heckingbottom, a more recent example last season, who came in having initially been in, then they appointed Jukanovic, then he came back in and did so well. But there's also been plenty of examples where it hasn't worked, like Jason Tindall at Bournemouth that only got half a season before he was shipped out. Uh, Dean Holden at Bristol City, who was, of course, the assistant to Lee Johnson. So it's a, it is a gamble. And I think, as I say, with the, the pedigree of manager on the market right now, if I was a fan, I'd have liked to have seen an external appointment. That said, I understand that they're trying to breed continuity and head of football operations, Lee Bromby's been very clear about that and the, the, the belief they've got. There was obviously a claim from Huddersfield that he'd turned down a job in the, uh, in the top European leagues already this summer. So clearly someone highly thought of and um, fingers crossed for them that it works out. George, what was your initial reaction? Well, obviously, it's, it's a major blow for Huddersfield to have lost Carlos, Carlos, Carlos Corbran. But, I mean, to, for it to have happened a little over three weeks before the season starts is just a, a disastrous situation for them, isn't it? After, obviously, such a such a roller coaster season last year, albeit it ended in disappointment, but that wouldn't have been considered as disappointment at the start of the season. It's just such a huge blow to have lost a lost a man that was obviously so influential in what they were trying to achieve and arguably was their biggest asset, I think, to be honest with you. It's just remarkable how he how he transformed that football club in such a short space of time. And as you said earlier on, the recruitment last summer wasn't exactly inspiring, certainly not to us anyway. It wasn't recruitment that you looked at and thought, that's really going to take the championship by storm. And I always said when Carlos Coburn got the job, it was going to take time. So he was certainly ahead of schedule in what he achieved last season and where the club was going. So it's it's a massive loss for them to have lost him, and let alone three weeks before the season starts. It's just it's devastating for the fans, and I can understand why they would be very disappointed that Carlos Coburn felt he he was in a position to walk away so close to the new season starting. Is it a case of? He's asked for money to spend and the club have not obliged. We'll probably never know the full ins and outs of what's gone on. But I think personally, I think that's the opinion that a lot of people will look at it with and think he's achieved that last season on a shoestring. He's gone to the board, asked for a bit of money. This is what I've done. 
with no money. Give me a bit of money. Well, I'll take you to the next step. I'll get you promoted. And they've probably turned around and said, no, we can't do that. And he said, look, if that's not what's going to happen, I'm going to walk away. And I could be totally wrong with that with that theory. It may be wrong, but it may be right. We'll never know. But as for the replacement in Danny Schofield, I mean, like you said earlier on, it gives Huddersfield continuity and it gives them the chance to try and keep things as normal as possible without having to bring a new man in, especially so close to the season starting. It's nothing too drastic and too new for the players to learn and obviously nobody new for them to get to know. But it just strikes as being a little bit uninspiring to me and that's nothing against Danny Schofield. Every manager's got to start somewhere in their career and he, he might do a brilliant job. We'll, we'll soon find out. But to me, it just strikes as a club that's gone so close to getting to the Premier League last season. Now have gone for a manager that's got no manager experience at all. Very, very surprising decision from the club. The fans don't seem overly pleased with it and I can understand why. Like you said, they were never going to get somebody like a Sean Dykes. That was one of the names that Huddersfield fans were immediately shouting for. Never going to happen. And like you said, I think Liam Manning of MK Dons would have been the right sort of fit. I think he fits the Huddersfield ethos and the Huddersfield style. Um, and obviously, they've, they've kind of gone down that route with a young manager who's obviously looking for a point to prove. But obviously, he's not got that manager experience. So, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be very, very interesting to see what happens. And almost already, Danny Schofield is he's going to be judged differently to say what he would have been had he come in last summer because of what Huddersfield achieved last year. Had Huddersfield finished 16th last season, the pressure wouldn't be there on him. He, he wouldn't be under enormous pressure to to deliver this coming season. But obviously, having finished third, lost the playoff final, the, the pressure is there for Huddersfield to deliver this season and launch the promotion assault. So, very, very difficult task. And I think for me, I think the biggest losers of this are the supporters because they've lost a man that they idolised, who got the club believing and dreaming again. And like I say, we're just three weeks to go. It's it's a massive, massive blow ahead of the big kickoff. So, interesting times ahead for Huddersfield. I think it's I think it's right to reserve judgment on Schofield yet because you've got to give the guy a chance. But I think it certainly comes in as being uninspiring. But we said the same about Huddersfield's transfers last summer. Look how that worked out. So we'll give him a go, see what happens, and I wish him every bit of success. I think there's a lot of parallels to when Steve Cooper walked out on uh, on Swansea this time last year. You know, mm. overachieved on a limited budget, albeit uh, Swansea were more reliant on loan signings, particularly. Whereas Huddersfield have been more reliant on just shrewd acquisitions on in the free transfer market, but a lot of parallels where manager felt that he couldn't take them any further without you know proper investment. I would say obviously relations between Carlos Corbran and Huddersfield were a lot better than the terms perhaps Steve Cooper left on Swansea. But you can see the sort of point I'm making. You know, team overachieves gets to within one game of the Premier League, gets to a, a playoff final, loses that game, wants to go again, clubber more content with trying to do it on a shoestring, which you can do for the one season, but it's not sustainable. And I think that's a an interesting parallel to, to try and make. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. Now we're going to have a look at some of the uh, most eye-catching transfers in the market. George, Who, what clubs have been doing business that's particularly caught your eye? Well, I think there's been quite a few, to be fair. I've been quite impressed by what Bristol City have done. I think they've been smart. I think they've Pulled the blind, we're getting Cal Naismith through the door. I think that's got the potential to be one of the signings of the season in terms of his value and the size of the, well, no size of the transfer, free transfer, obviously. Kane Wilson, deal, from, though. Kane, uh, Kane Wilson from Forest Green. 
think that's one that's going to be one to watch with great intrigue. Obviously, played a key role in helping them win the League Two title last season. Big step up, but got quality about him. Looking forward to seeing how he gets on. I think Luton, they've done some good little bits. Corley Woodrow, Carlton Morris, that's bolstered the forward line and really interested to see how that get, that gets going. And after a slow start, Burnley are starting to make some really decent moves. They've, they, they, obviously, the, the standout one is Scott Twine, isn't it? That's the addition that I think is, for me, probably ranks as, at the minute, as we record this, I think possibly the most exciting signing of the summer so far in terms of a championship club. Did an unbelievable job at MK Dons last season. Was arguably the best player in League One last season. It was unbelievable. The, the figures, I think it was 20 goals and 13 assists. I haven't got the stats in front of me offhand, but I think that's what he got. So 33 direct goal contributions. He got a ton of, ton more for Swindon in League Two the year before. So he's kind of on this, this ladder of going up through the leagues. And he's a player with potential. He's only young. He's a really exciting prospect. And I think... He's got the potential to really take the championship by storm. And we've seen in the past, haven't we, that there's a lot of players who have come from lower leagues into the championship and adapted with ease. I think certainly in the last two years, the most obvious one is Adebayo at Luton. He, he adapted with absolute ease. And the thing with Scott Twine is he's playing in a team that's going to be expected to compete for promotion. And that Burnley squad, even though it's been a bit of a slow start to the win, nobody has picked up in the last few weeks. There's only been more quality coming into that squad and there's rumours going around that they're trying to bring Liam Delap in from Manchester City. Shark horror, another potential City loanee with the Vincent Company links. There'll be plenty more of them. But it's players like that who have got massive potential that will, you would think, serve Burnley well. And Vincent Company is going to use those Man City ties to good effect. And why shouldn't he? They've got some very good players in Man City's academy. So, for me, Burnley looking good. Twine, I think, the standout addition from what they've done so far. And... There's several others that you've got to look at. I think Middlesbrough have been smart in one or two little bits. and I just think, overall, I think it's building up to be a really fascinating window across not just the Championship, but the whole country. I think the Premier League's been really interesting to watch, see what they've done. And I just think I've got that vibe now for the new season. I'm looking forward to it. Really, really excited for it, energised and ready to go again. But I think for me, in terms of if I had to pick a transfer that for me is exciting me the most in the Championship, at the minute, I do have to go with Scott Twine. I think there's something special about that lad. And I'm really, really intrigued how he gets on at this level because I think he's got the potential to take it by storm. Yeah, Burnley have done some good bits, as you were saying. Uh, Scott Twine through the door. Josh Cullen is someone who I think could be a really good signing. Work with Vincent Company and Electa, sort of that number six deep-lying playmaker. Liked him. He was obviously at West Ham in terms of English football before. A couple of loan spells, one with Charlton when they won promotion back to the Championship, when they beat Sunderland in the playoff final that season. Um, he's a really good player. They're after Ben Wiles from Rotherham United, which, of course, if Rotherham lose another key player, then they may as well pack up and go home now. Um, Callum O'Hare's another target as well from uh, Coventry. So, be interesting to see who, if they can get those over the line. Obviously, they've lost Nathan Collins, which is a big blow for £20 million. To, he's gone to Wolves. Nick Pope, obviously, has gone to Newcastle. So they definitely need a goalkeeper and they definitely need another striker. And if they could get O'Hare in and maybe Wiles as well, I think they would be pretty well set. Matson's coming I in mean, as well from Chelsea on loan, having done really well at Coventry. One thing that's thought of me with Burnley is, and obviously they, they need to add a striker, obviously, to their ranks with, with the quality they've lost in the summer. I mean, 
would I know he's getting on in the years now, but would somebody like Dwight Gale do a job for Burnley? His his record at Championship level is prolific, but does it go against the grain of what Vincent Company wants? It seems to be young players that he's targeting, as proven with the addition of Twine. Um, the, my the my only thought is if they're going to play four three three, or they yeah. play they're either going to play four three three or three five two. Now, if it's three five two, ultimately Scott Twine's going to take one of those places anyway. So you've only yeah. got one central striker, really. And if it's four three three, then obviously Twine will probably play from the left. So either way, is that striker? You know, Twine's not a line leader. He's not really a number nine. He's a, a number ten. So I don't know if Gale would be the right fit. They've obviously got Rodriguez and Barnes already. Rodriguez has got a good record at Championship level. But I don't know. I think someone like Liam Delap's probably a better fit than than a Dwight Gale, personally. Yeah. yeah, and he's another one that excites me, to be fair, Liam Delap. I saw a little bit of him over the last few weeks for England and 19s when they won the Euros, and he looked quite a handy player. And Pep Guardiola said some wonderful things about him in the past. And a lot of City fans last season felt he should have been in the first-team squad more often than he was, but injuries often got in the way of that. Uh, and just moving back, I've just been thinking about another club that's done a lot of business this summer is Cardiff. More quantity rather than quality, I would say. But I think the additions certainly recently have remained Sawyers and Shea Yojo has come in. I think they're two decent additions. And I know, Elliot, you're remain Sawyers' biggest fan. Cardiff and, I find really interesting. I'm, I'm, this there's is a lot of probably, signings. There's a lot of signings, but I still don't feel that confident about them. Because I, I think mean, in, mid, mid, in midfield, I think they look really good. You've obviously got Joe Rolls on a new contract, Romain Sawyers, um, Andy Renamota, who's a good player as well. So they've got good options in there. Um, Ryan Whittle as well, of course. Lacking who's going to score? Who's going to score the goals? That's exactly well, that's what I was going to say. Who, who is going to score the goals? You've got Mark Harris. You've got. Um, Isaac Davies, you've got Ru- uh, Levi, uh, you've got Ruben Colwell, sorry, uh, and you've got um, Max Waters. That that's kind of their their striking options or forward options. Sheojo as well. I can't guarantee you any of them will get more than five championship goals. Depending, no, I don't know. Obviously, me. depending on who will play, and that is a big, big problem. So, I, I, as good as Cardiff. As much as some of Cardiff signings individually look really good, I still look at that squad and think. God, they need some firepower up front. They and do. they've already brought in, what, 12, 11, 12 already? So I'm sure they have plans. Certainly into double figures. I'm sure they have plans to strengthen the striker market. But until they do that, I can't, I'm not excited particularly about Cardiff. They've done a lot of business, and some of them are individually good signings, but the squad doesn't look complete to me. I was literally just going to say when you look at the names that Cardiff have brought in individually looking at them, there are some, there's some good additions in there. I mean, Romeo, for instance, from Millwall, it's it's a solid signing for a right back at where they're at as a club. Yeah. Rinomoto on a free, good addition. I think Rinomoto is a really good signing. Eb- Ebu Adams from Forest Green, he'll have a point to prove in the championship, beefs that midfield up a little bit more. Callum O'Dowder, experienced player. Sawyer's experienced player. Ojo's got a bit of flair about him when he's when he's at his best. So you do you do look at it and you think, yeah, there's some decent individuals on there, but it's how that's moulded all together. And they need now a focal point at the top end of the pitch. But we're sat here recording this in mid-July. We've got another six, seven weeks of the window left. <coughs> Excuse me. Premier League clubs have got to finalise their squads. And that will give championship clubs the opportunity to sniff around, potentially for some loan signs and players who are deemed 
dirt surplus requirements by their clubs in the Premier League. So, God, if they, they will get a striker. I'm sure they will. They might even get two or three. But it's something that, obviously, when you look at the squad, needs to kind of be the next priority on the list for Steve Morrison, which, of course, he'll be aware about. He's, he's not an idiot. He'll know that they need a striker or certainly more than one. And I'm sure it'll come, but it's just a case of who do they get for being that striker. And I know I've already mentioned him only a few minutes ago. Could somebody like a Dwight Gale be the answer? I mean, Can't Newcastle is not able to afford that. Possibly not, but he's somebody that I think could be an option for a lot of championship clubs. He's not going to get in Newcastle squad with the plans they've got now. Are you um, sponsored by Dwight Gale? No, not quite. I'm just a big fan of Dwight Gale. I've always liked I am, but he's not going to go to Cardiff. They can't afford him. Probably not. I think somebody like a Middlesbrough or somebody, Definitely. I think would be good for, for a Dwight Gale because Chris he's Wilder always loves, goals. A, loves a lone striker, doesn't he? He does. He does indeed. been plenty of them down the years. But no, I think Cardiff, yeah, some good business individually. It's just a case now of how it moulds all together, isn't it? And how it comes together for for uh, Steve Morrison, but uh, another club as well, just very, very quick mention that's impressive for me business-wise. Not a lot of it, but I think what they've done is is pretty good. Millwall, been quite impressed with that. I think Honeyman's a good signing. Afobe, back in permanently, decent addition. Don't know anything about Zian Fleming, who's come in from Fortuna Sittard, but his numbers made very good reading last season, and Charlie Creswell, even on loan from Leeds. Can have a point to prove, going to... Going to try and push on. Decent addition. Norwich, literally barely anything happened there. Isaac Caden in alone. That seems a lifetime ago since that was confirmed. Very, very quiet in Norfolk. Uh, Preston as well. I think the addition of Freddie Woodman. I think that's an outstanding signing for them. Always been a fan of his. So there's plenty of good business happening throughout the league and it's only going to get better as the weeks roll on. So interesting times and really, really quite fun, really, just to see what happens in neutrals and see who brings who in and what happens? Sheffield United starting to step it up a little bit, aren't they now? Kieran Clark through the door and Tommy Doyle on loan this well, week. I wasn't expecting so. you to go through the entire division. I thought you were going to leave some clubs for me to talk about when I when I asked the question. I'll, I'll let you about three. See, seeing as you brought them up, I was going to bring up Sheffield United, and I think they look really good. I think the the business they've done is smart. I think it it um, plugs key holes. I think um, I'd say Kieran Clark and Anel Amadovic coming in. Uh, centre-back to, to challenge Chris Basham and Jack Robinson in those wide centre-back positions. I think Armedovic is comfortable playing anywhere across that back three, but has primarily been brought in to potentially play at right centre-back. Egan and Kieran Clark, that makes a really solid back three at championship level. Um, I think the signing of, of Doyle from Manchester City, having impressed at Cardiff last season, is a really good acquisition. Again, just competition for places because there's no immediate place where you think oh Doyle will play instead of Fleck or Berg or Norwood but you've got to have competition in those places so I'm excited to see those four sort of compete or maybe Doyle will even play further forward now they still need another creator for me to replace Gibbs White Redder Cadger is someone they've been linked with and, and seen quite far down the line with is he a creator or is he someone that's more likely to stretch the pitch for them I think he'd be a great addition I'm not sure if they still need that someone with a bit of magic on the ball, I think Kadra is very good off the ball and I think he's got good qualities. But like Illiman and Dai, perhaps I see them as similar players. Maybe they need someone with a little bit more cuteness. Perhaps that's the right word in in, in, in the forward areas. But I like what they've got. Rian Brewster could be a big, you know, not, not a new signing, but could be a big player for them hopefully next season. So 
you look at that squad, it looks really complete. It looks like they don't need a lot more. I would say if they got Kadra in a cute sort of playmaking number 10, and I'd say Sheffield United look really, really strong to make a good good fist of it. Jada Bogle will be back later in the year as well at right wing back. You've got Max Lowe, who seemingly is going to stay um, to play at left wing back. So if you have Bogle, you know, think of that team Fodderingham, Bogle when he's back fit, but Boldock in the interim, Ahmedovic, Egan, Clark, Lowe, Berg, Norwood, Doyle or Fleck, and then, you know, and Die maybe, and, and Billy Sharp or Brewster. And uh, Billy Sharp, that's 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 some squad with McBurney as well on the bench, and and I think they they look really good. West Brom as well. There, I'd probably say Sheffield United and West Brom. If I'm looking at the starting 11s, and obviously that's not what wins you the league. So I'm not saying these would be my top two picks. I'm just saying when I look at the starting 11 in isolation and not the squad depth, their starting 11s look the most complete, perhaps because West Brom again. You're looking, they've got obviously Jed Wallace and John Swift to come in. They will bring the creativity. Daryl DK's back fit again. They want to bring in another midfielder. Okay, Yakusu has been linked. He was really impressive during their relegation season in 2020 in the Premier League. So again, you look at that team, you've got Palmer or Button in goal, Furlong or Gardner Hickman at right back, Bartley or Jay, um, Townsend, Mowat, Livermore or Malumbi. And then you're looking at Wallace, Swift, Carlin Grant and DK. That's a really, really good starting eleven with players it's... like Callum Robinson and others to to contribute to that as well, Matt Phillips, Dean Garner. So those two squads and particularly starting 11s looking really strong for me, I would say. At the other end yeah. of the spectrum, George, there's two championship clubs that haven't made a signing yet in Blackpool and Blackburn Rovers. And when I say a signing, I mean a first team signing before someone tells me that Blackburn have signed Ethan Walker, given it's my job, I'm fully aware of that, but he has been brought in for the under 23s. Would you be any? Would you be concerned for either of those clubs or, or any clubs where... They've not done a lot of business with 16 days as we record until the uh, start of the season. Well, obviously, both clubs are entering new new eras, aren't they? They've both got new managers at the helm, obviously completely different circumstances where Blackburn, the vast majority of fans wanted to change, whereas the Blackpool fans were devastated when Neil Critchley walked out on them. So it's different scenarios. I would argue that I think I'm more more fearful for Blackpool than I am for Blackburn at the minute. Blackpool, I think the loss of Neil Critchley is a far bigger loss than kind of a a negative of not bringing any players in as of yet because I thought Neil Critchley would just continue what he had built last season out of his stay without any new signings or whatever. Blackburn, you'll you'll know more than this than me, obviously, with it being your job. The signings are going to come. It's just going to take time. They are clearly working on things. It's just going to take a few few weeks to get it through the door. As we know, transfers are not the easiest thing in the world to sort out and get done. But John Dahl Thomason, he's, he's going to know what he wants. As you've said to me earlier on, midfield is the biggie, centre-back as well. They've got a strength in there, right back for Nyambe's absence as well. So there's work to be done for both clubs. But I think, personally at the minute, I would say I do worry for Blackpool more than do for Blackburn, purely because I think the loss of Neil Critchley is, is so, so big. I think Say losing him would have been bigger than losing, for example, Josh Bowler this summer. I think Critchley obviously was such an asset for them and the work, the work he had done there was unbelievable and the best for me was yet still to come. And it's just a shame that he felt that the Premier League and an assistant manager's role was better than staying as manager in the Championship. Obviously, money talks in this, in this day and age, so he's moved on. Michael Appleton now at the helm. 
not totally convinced on that one, being honest. He's he's always a manager that seems to have the ability to be either sky high or rock bottom. So we'll see with that one. I'm not quite sure that one's going to pan out. A few more sign- few signings and you never know, might have a better idea and an opinion on what they're going to do. But at the minute, like Huddersfield, I would say that they start this new season in a lot worse position than they, did, than they started the last one, purely because of who's not in the dugout. Yeah, I would agree with that. From a Blackburn perspective, obviously covering the club for Lanks Live, um, they definitely need to get some bodies through the door. I think they need five or six, if I'm being honest. And I do think those will come, certainly in the loan market when the Premier League window or the Premier League clubs come back from pre-season tours and start to finalise their squads a little more. I think there'll be movement. They're currently trying for... Um, they want to, to bring in a centre-back. They want they need central midfielders as well. There's only got John Buckley and Lewis Travis as senior central midfielders at the club. So that's a big concern. They're definitely lacking depth there. Now, the, the caveat with Blackburn is they've got such a good academy and they've got so many good young players coming through. The likes of Jake Garrett and Adam Wharton have really impressed in pre-season so far. Jack Vale as well um, as a deputy to Sam Gallagher. Ash Phillips is very highly rated, but he's only 17. He's someone that's got one year left on his contract and has got clubs like Tottenham certainly looking at his situation and Blackburn are hoping to tie him down to his first pro deal. Now, it's a lot to ask these players to play, you know, to be first reserve off the bench in the championship. They've got to get bodies in. Certainly need a couple in central midfield minimum. Need a centre-back, maybe two, depending on what formation they're going to play. They've played 3-4-3 up until now in pre-season for two games. But Thomason has said that that's mainly due to the imbalance in the squad and the lack of central midfielders rather than a definitive system that they want to play. From what I understand, they've been training in sort of a 3-4-3 and a 4-2-3-1 shape. So, definitely need to get bodies through the door. Ben Davies is someone they are looking at. They are interested in him. He's on their radar. No formal offer has been made at the time of recording, but they are trying to get him in. Now, wages could be a big issue with that because Ben Davies has got a fair amount of championship suitors. Middlesbrough and Stoke City have been linked as well. And uh, the player would like a permanent move this summer if possible. I think Liverpool would prefer that as well. Uh, Liverpool Echo reporting that it could, you know, Liverpool looking for a fee of around £4 million, albeit um, a lot of that or certainly a chunk of that would be incentivised. So maybe £2.5 with instalments, for example, just as a, a figure that's not concrete. That's just me sort of trying to explain what sort of deal you might be looking at. And obviously wages is a big problem. Blackburn in particular have got a very strict wage structure. So, you know, Ben Davies, I've seen some reports he's on 60 grand a week. I don't think that's true. I don't know what the numbers are, but my guess would be he might be on between 30 and 40,000 pound a week. I know for a fact he would need to half that to be somewhere within Blackburn Rovers' current wage structure. Maybe they break the wage structure. Maybe they don't. I don't know. We'll see with that. But um, that's the one they're looking at anyway. And I would agree with you on Blackpool in terms of uh, I'm a bit worried for them. I think that there's no money really to spend from what I understand at Blackpool unless they sell Josh Bowler or there's another a key asset sold. And I like Mike Lafferton. Um, I think he's a good manager. But you are right that there does happen to be seasons where you don't really know why it's not worked. But it didn't obviously work at Lincoln last season. But he did amazingly the year before, massively overachieved and got them to within one game of of reaching the um, reaching the championship, of course, losing to Blackpool, who is ironically now joined um, 12 months down the line. Funny how things work out sometimes in football, but interesting to see what happens for those two clubs moving forward. 
And that pretty much rounds up this week's episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. Thank you, as always, for listening. A big thank you to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for, for sponsoring the podcast and supporting us as always. So big thank you to them. Great to have them on board. Make sure you are checking them out on uh, on Twitter at Cards Accepted for any businesses looking for uh, to expand their transaction processes. Make sure you go and check out Cards Accepted. And Dave there is really spot on, so make sure you go and speak to them and, and see if they could work for your your business. We'll be back next week, as I say, with the 1-24 to predictions, a big podcast for us, so make sure you are subscribed in your podcast app so it drops as soon as it goes live. Um, We've also got a giveaway, as I say, on the podcast account at the minute. We're giving away a championship shirt for free, so make sure you are getting your name in the hat. Go and retweet the tweet. Go and uh, follow us and Cards Accepted. Get involved, and you might win a championship strip in time for the new season kicking off. Thank you as always for listening and we'll catch you again very soon for another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier.